their focus specifically on human rights abuses as a consequence of political repression. We focus on victims of a state or a political repression. That's what we do uh, at this moment. We are the organization that actually published the list of political prisoners in Venezuela. and welcome to a new episode of Declarations. My name is Muna Gassim and I am your host. Today we are speaking with Alfredo Romero, the Executive Director of Foro Penal. Foro Penal is a Venezuelan human rights organization composed of more than 100 well-known lawyers and a group of over 5,000 human rights activists who provide legal assistance to victims of arbitrary detentions in Venezuela, as well as assisting the families and victims of oppression. Alfredo graduated as an attorney in Caracas before obtaining a master's in Latin American studies from Georgetown and another in law from LSE. He went on to work as a professional lawyer before starting humanitarian efforts in 2002. Since then, Foro Penal has helped over 10,000 people, and Alfredo received the Orden Bicentenaria del Colegio de Abogados in 2014, the highest recognition given by this entity in Venezuela as well as the Robert Kennedy Award in 2017. Alfredo, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us on in our Zoom studio. And a big thank you to our panelist, Eddie, for joining us as well. So we're very excited to just delve in. This is going to be a really interesting episode, and I'm sure our listeners will be very curious to hear more about For Now. So Alfredo, just before we begin getting into the more substantive elements, could you tell us a little bit about Fora Penal? So the organization, what is its ethos, its mission? What are some of the stories that have really stood out to you um, throughout your years? Thank you so much for, for, for this opportunity. Uh, well, Fora Penal, uh, I, I will uh, talk a little bit of how we started, how I started as a, as a human rights um, activist. I didn't care about human rights at the beginning, 20 years ago, actually. I didn't, I didn't know about it. I was a, a, you know, a lawyer. Um, I graduated, as you said, from Georgetown University in Latin American studies. And then I went to the LSC, the London School of Economics, and I get a master's degree in banking law. So nothing yeah, to do with yeah. human rights. What happened is that in 2002, I, um, I was participating in a demonstration, like many people did, against um, Hugo Chavez at that point, the president of Venezuela. And one uh, boy, uh, 18 years old boy, his name was um, Jesus, Jesus, actually, Jesus Mohammed, actually a combination of two names, two religions. And this guy was shot in his head and was killed in that in that demonstration. Um, the father and the mother of this guy came to me. Actually, I was working at that time uh, with, the, with the Supreme Court. I, I was a, a clerk, a law clerk. I resigned from the Supreme Court because I said, come on, uh, this guy was killed. So I had to sue because of crimes against humanity. Actually, this guy was killed, but other 18 people, uh, uh, people were killed that specific day. It was uh, April 11th, 2002. And more than 300 people were injured. 
that's how I started with this. Uh, I I thought that I was that was going to be the the first and the last case that would represent regarding human rights abuse. But well, that year more victims came to me because I was um, we were like we were four lawyers actually we were. Uh, starting to get uh, known because of representatives of human rights abuses, um, and um, and then no, uh, other victims came to us, and the next year again, and whatever. Blah, blah. And what happened is that at this point, we have represented at Foro Penal more than actually more than twelve thousand victims at this moment. We started uh, again as a very informal way of of helping people uh, pro bono. This moment, we continue doing the same. We we were and we still are um, uh, regarding uh, in relation to lawyers, lawyers that work independently. Um, some some of us are corporate lawyers, and others are criminal lawyers or whatever. But what they, what they, what they do is to provide some time, uh, you know, pro bono to help this. In my case, for almost twenty years, um, so. You, you, you were asking me about some cases. Well, I mean, there are many cases. Whatever, whichever case, whichever, uh, uh, I mean, a story you want, I have it. I mean, we have represented people, unfortunately, people that have been tortured by different ways. People that have been uh, suffocated with plastic bags in the in the intelligence agency uh, prison centers or or people that have been sexually abused or people that have been uh, victims of forces appearances or people that have been killed and so um, women uh, children um, uh, men I mean everyone uh, 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 this is important because we focus what we do specifically we, we don't we present or attend all human rights abuses in Venezuela. We are focused specifically on human rights abuses as a consequence of political repression. Mm -hmm. So we focus on victims of a state or a political repression. That's what we do. Uh, at this moment, we are the organization that actually published the list of political prisoners in Venezuela, a list that is being um, updated every week and certified by the Organization of American States and also actually verified by the UN by the uh, for Human Rights, the Office of the, of the of the UN High Commission for Human Rights, and um, and that's what, what we uh, actually been doing for all these years, waiting for repression to finish, but it hasn't. That's so. Just just to pick up, so you you mentioned the April two thousand and two demonstrations as one of the main kind of important factors in the in the beginnings of Fora Penal but also your kind of focus on political repression all the way through the history of the organization. I just wanted to ask you, how do you feel that political repression or the shape of political repression and human rights abuses associated with it has changed since 2002, since those April demonstrations? What do you think any trends, if any, have been? That's, that's very important because um, since 2014, actually, when the new... Um, president came to power because Chavez, President Chavez died in 2013 and um, in 2014 uh, uh, a new president was in charge of the power. So since that time, repression has increased I mean, 
extremely. Uh, uh, just to give you a, an idea, um, the just since 2014, there have been almost 16,000 political detainees. So people that have been detained for political reasons. Before uh, 2014, we counted not more than 400, about 400 political detainees, so people that were detained in a demonstration. Uh, when Chavez died, they were, or, or more, no, it's better to say when, when the new president, but the current president, came to power in 2014, there were 11 one one political prisoners. And just in that year, in 2014, we counted at the end of that year more than 300 political prisoners, almost 400 political prisoners. Um, so uh, just to give you another idea, just in 2014, uh, in one day, something happened like, uh, uh, because there were demonstrations in February specifically, and just in one day you could uh, see more than 200 people that were detained just in one day, and people that were, and, and just that year, um, more than 40 people, uh, yeah, almost 50 people were killed in a demonstration. So, of course, repression has increased, um, notably. Um, what I, I be I have become not because I wanted, is because I've been involved in that some way. I, I, I've been specialized in, in political repression. I have even written books about it, and I've been a fellow in in Harvard and also in, in the Wilson Center in Washington D.C. Just writing and, and 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 doing research about repression and and actually what I realized after analyzing the situation in Venezuela, and specifically as 2014, that repression has been effective in the, in the, in the way that they, they, they use repression as a, as a way for, for controlling power. Um, actually, repression, you know, that's what um, researchers have said, and some people that have studied about these issues, actually repression is one of the, the pillars for sustaining these dictator, dictatorial regimes. And actually that's how it's been working in Venezuela. It's been and it's, uh, more than, than using repression as a way to, to um, disperse a demonstration, as a way to, to intimidate people in, in one specific moment. Repression is more an strategy to keep uh, dictatorial regimes in power and to, to control population, to intimidate population, to exclude uh, 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 politicians that want to compete, or leaders, other political leaders that want to compete and, and, and win, for example, uh, an electoral, uh, you know, an election for the presidency or whatever. So, so it's a strategy, and, and that's why the, the specific answer is that repression has increased, repression continues, and repression is part, uh, it's a shame, but it's part of our lives here in Venezuela. Speaking about strategies, in a talk in 2017, you spoke about the 40 actions you could take to help um, get someone released from charges. So would you be able to please talk us through the range of strategies that Fora Penal takes um, to act against unfair detention? Uh, again, uh, after almost 20 years, I realized specifically in, in 2014 or maybe, maybe before that, 
that um, we were actually an organization. We I didn't know that. I mean, we were more a network of lawyers uh, that help people, volunteers. And then we realized that many people wanted to, to be part of us and helping people. So that's why right now we are almost 7,000 activists, not just in Venezuela, but also we have 29 chapters, not in, not in, in, in the UK for, for now, but we have, for example, chapters in Madrid and Barcelona or Bogota or uh, Buenos Aires, for example, Argentina in the United States, we have in Miami, in Boston. Whatever. So we have different chapters around the world. Why? Because many Venezuelans, this is also as a consequence of repression, many Venezuelans have left the country. They have become immigrants and now we have, there are more than 5 million Venezuelans that have left the country because of, I would say, the repression uh, uh, system that we have here in Venezuela. Anyway, um, and then I realized that we are a kind of organization. So, and we we not, we needed to have or to not to have. We had a strategy because we have, uh, as I, as you said, we have represented more than 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 twelve thousand people, but actually we have released from jail more than twelve thousand people. So, if we weren't there, if Foro Penal didn't say anything about uh, uh, repression about people that were in jail. Maybe nobody would know how many people are in jail. Maybe these people were there, you know, without even knowing who they are. So that's what we do. So in the end, I realized that we, we, we did many actions, many things, and I put it together in a book, uh, in a manual, what we call uh, a strategic litigation manual, where um, I try to identify what kind of what kind of actions we did in order to, for example, release people or to get justice when someone is killed. So that's our, the actions I, I always talk about. Uh, is there are 40 actions that are divided in, in four, 40 that are divided in four types. So we do local actions that, that I mean, they are a long list, but I mean, if you go to court, for example, it's important to go to court as a lawyer, but it's just one of 10 actions that we call local actions. So we have to go to courts, but we also have to, to, uh, um, to raise the attention of, for example, of an opinion maker, of an influencer, for example, in order to, to visibilize or to raise the attention of, of the situation and specifically to raise the attention of one political person that we want to release. Uh, but we also, uh, for example, uh, raise attention of a of a of a trade union, for example, in order in order to, for them to help us. So it's not the le the legal issue has become in percentage. I mean, not the legal issue. The yeah, the legal issue or or the 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 the, 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 the using the judicial system has become a, a little percentage for this uh, type of cases where pol 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 politics are the more important thing. I mean, the the political. Uh, issue is more important. So we do local actions, several, 10 local actions. For example, we do international actions. So we have to go, for example, to the United Nations or the OAS or, or even to international NGOs, again, to raise the attention of cases to foreign governments, for example. Then we, we also do commu co communication actions or communicative actions 
So we use, of course, social media or traditional media or a press conference or videos, for example, that we 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 record of victims and we publish it in social media. And the fourth action is nonviolent actions, which we call it actually pacific actions. Uh, and there are several of those. I mean, we even I'm a musician, for example, and um, I always say that before being a musician, I'm a, I'm a human being, but before being a lawyer, I'm a musician. And and actually, I tomorrow, for example, we have a, a concert here in Venezuela, in Caracas. Um, it's not, they're not really concerts. Um, we go to the streets, of course, with all bios, uh, with, a, with a pandemic, all these kind of things, we have to do it uh, different than before. But we go to the streets and we play on the streets, music, and actually, and it's on the street. I mean, literally on the streets. So we go and play, and um, and we start talking about situations as has happened in Venezuela. For example, one political prisoner. For example, there is a woman. This is a case that I always try to remember to make people to 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 know about it because it's a really uh, you know a case that actually is, is still. Surprise me. Uh, Ermir Lendris is the, is the name of this woman who is in jail right now. She, she's been more than three years in jail without a sentence. And the trial never ends. And she was forced to abortion. <laughs> so, so she was, um, uh, because she was tortured. And, um, and nobody knows about the baby right now. I mean, we don't know. I mean, she just lost the baby, I mean, when she was in jail. And um, so we talk about this case and we explain to people, look, this is this woman, you can be Emir Landris, you can be her. And we show the picture, we talk about what happened to her, um, and we explain that she was tortured, and then we talk about another case, and then we sing a song about women, for example, <laughs> a song that I composed. So, um, and we we sing different songs, uh, uh, and we explain what the situation. So this, which which sounds like kind of a strange, of the, a lawyer, a president of one NGO, um, well known here. I mean, being a certi certified lawyer at, at the International Criminal Court, singing a song, singing really because I play the guitar and sing, and then so people try to get, what is that? But people get really involved with the situation. It's not the same that you talk and you go to the street and start talking about, or, or even if, if you go to, the, to, to, to either, to whatever uh, traditional media and you talk about human rights, nobody will actually care about it. But if you play music, uh, it's, it's more uh, fluent, you know, the way that, that the message goes through, um, I mean, from me to the people. So these are the things that we do um, things like like music, or going to the UN, United Nations, or going to the International Criminal Court, or going to the local court. So we do all of that. So we we realize that this is part of the strategy. Actually, it's in this book. It's in Spanish, actually. So we have all the not just the actions, but it, we have even a chart. Well, where we have to add every actions and you know the actions and have a numbers different numbers for different actions. So all the activists have to fill this chart uh, out in the, in the sense that they, they have to 
if they do this action, they do this, that's another action, they increase the political cost of the prisoner. And when you increase the political cost, then you, 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 you compete, or, or there is a balance between the political cost and the benefit of these people of being in jail, because there is a benefit. Why they have Emir Landris Benitez in jail? Well, because they want to intimidate people that actually protest against the government, for example. Why they have another one? Well, because there is another benefit. Why they have a, a politician who is a leader in Venezuela at some point in jail? Well, because they want to exclude him or her from the political arena, from the political competition. So, so you have to do to increase the political cost of this prisoner in numbers. I mean, we calculate in numbers, uh, doing actions in order to for the cost to be uh, higher than than the benefit. Very, very interesting. Um, the singing, the singing, really. I think that's a very, a very good tactic. Music does cross boundaries. So, to our listeners who are interested in human rights activism. You know, you might want to include uh, some singing and music in your techniques. That's that's a really good point. I think I think one thing that really came through that was really interesting there was it kind of sounds like it has both sides of your personality almost in it. You've got the very meticulous lawyer who can pen down a strategic litigation manual and disperse it. But you've also got that kind of human side because, yeah, as Muna was saying, it's human rights after all. It's all about that engagement. Um, so I just wanted to ask, I mean, it seems that, Fora Penel has come, from what you've been saying, it seems like you kind of told a story where it's come quite directly out of maybe your upbringing and the way you've kind of gone from roots to Harvard and law school, and you've kind of made that story. I just wondered if there was anything that had surprised you or been unexpected about running an NGO. I mean, in 20 years of, of helping run Fora Penel, there must have been challenges or things that weren't quite as expected. What, what surprised you about running an NGO? Yeah. Different from maybe maybe differently. I don't know from other NGOs. Uh, again, I started without wanted to be an NGO. <laughs> I mean, I I didn't want to do that in my life. I actually look. I I, I went to as I said. Uh, I went to the LSC. You know, the London School of Economics. People maybe are not from from England and they they don't know. Uh, which is part of the University of London. I actually studied project financing. Project financing, project financing is something I actually wrote uh, articles either in English or in Spanish about project financing. So I didn't want, I, I didn't want to be a, a, a human rights lawyer at that time. I mean, I'm talking about more than 20 years ago. Um, I'm 52 right now. So I started with this when I was like 20, I don't know, 27 or something, maybe, maybe. 26 of um, when I started like inter getting in, uh, interest in human rights. But anyway, the thing is that um, uh, I had to learn uh, with experiences uh, what to do and to create uh, a, a strategy, a tactic, and actions, and to analyze what we were doing in order to then teach all the volunteers how to do what we have been doing since 20 years ago. Um, so, uh, again, for example, one of the things that surprised me, if you, want, if you want to put it that way, 
is when I understood, I actually wrote a book, which is called The Repression Clock. That's the name of the book. It is in English. The Repression Clock, which is published by the Wilson Center, is online, so it's free. And, and, and this is a book that actually started writing it uh, in 2015, maybe, and I finished it last, last year. And actually explains how the strategy behind uh, repression, the strategy behind dictatorial regimes using repression. And what surprised me is that there is a strategy. So I, I realized, okay, they have a strategy. So we have to build or to show the world, not, not the world, but people are interested in these things, so specifically people like me that, for example, are right now in Nicaragua or in Cuba or in Russia or in China or in Egypt or Saudi Arabia or, or in other countries, because this is important that repression or human rights by abuses doesn't have an ideology. It's not, a, 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 it's not, from, it's not that the leftist regimes use repression as a way for controlling power, but also the rightist regimes can use it, like Saudi Arabia or Egypt. I mean, it's the same strategy, and there is not really an ideology there. But this a discussion that we can have it in the future. But the thing is, I realized that there is a strategy that everyone uses. So we have to create a strategy in order to uh, uh, counteract the, the, the strategy that they use. Um, I, 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 um, I mean, I, I have many experiences, I mean, uh, helping many people. We, we, I, I realized, for example, there is another thing maybe important here that we focus and we've been very effective. Really, we're being effective, but not effective in uh, getting, uh, uh, like stopping or, 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 or you know, re repression as a macro problem. We, we haven't stopped repression like the macro repression. As I said, repression has increased. But we have focused on micro repression. So we have focused on the individual. So we have released, you know, Peter, John, uh, Mary. We have released these people. And I know I have these cases and we have to help them. And they come to us in order to help them. And But the government used what I have. This is a term that I that I, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, invented, I don't know, or, or created, which is what he called the revolving door effect. We release people, but they incarcerate others. And I release it, they release it because we put pressure on them so we can release, you know, Eddie, but then they incarcerate Mary. And they release Peter and they incarcerate Whoever. So re the macro problem still there, using repression as a way of intimidating people and controlling power. But if we weren't there, helping these people, uh, raising the tension of what's going on internationally, nationally, there were not maybe 300 political prisoners at this moment. I'm, I'm sure that they were more than 10,000. Actually, there is an anecdote, and I will conclude with this. 
with a, with a friend, a human rights activist, an Egyptian friend. Actually, she's uh, from, from her family and everything. She's, she's communist. And she, 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 oh, that's what she said. Uh, and, um, and of course, in Venezuela, we have a supposed communist regime, which is not true in the end. I mean, they don't care about what ideology they had, but they care about, about controlling power. But it, anyway, she was asking me, I was asking her, how many political prisoners do you think there are, or how many prison, political prisoners are in, in Egypt? And, and she told me, I don't know, like 10,000, 12,000. I said, really? But do you, do you have a list of, of political prisoners? No, we don't have it. Uh, so is, there is not an NGO that actually register all political prisoners and defend them? No. And then she asked me, how many political prisoners do you have in Venezuela? I said, at that point, there were, I know, 400, maybe 300. Because they always, every week, there are like 300 or 400. But in the end, there are more than 15,000, <laughs> you know, since 2014. So she told me, well, we, do you know how many political prisoners you have? So we need a kind of NGO here in Egypt because we don't register that. So in the end, if nobody registered, if nobody knows the names, if, if, if you don't show the faces, not the numbers, maybe these people are in jail, nobody would know. And actually to be in jail in Venezuela, being tortured, in not being, um, and, 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 and nobody, if nobody know about it, these people will die in jail, for sure. And like happened in Egypt. If, if, uh, if Eduardo or Mary is in jail, and nobody know about it. Whatever can, hap can happen to her or to him. I, I, I have experiences of, for example, one woman, I, I won't tell her name right now, but um, that she was detained because, because of protesting against the government. And, um, and I, I'm not talking about an, a well-known person. I'm talking about anyone who's protesting in the streets. No, I'm not talking about politicians. I'm not talking about an artist, I'm talking about uh, a citizen, regular one. She was, I think, 21 years old, 22 or something. And uh, actually she was detained. And we started a campaign because somebody from her family called us, like they do uh, in social media and all that. And we were at the, at the outside of the, of the prison cell. And she told me after she was released that uh, she was almost raped by this officer. And when the officer tried to rape her, at some point, something happened that she, she said that she didn't know at that time. And so, but somebody knocked at the door where she were with the officer in his specific uh, office where, where the, the, he was like a commander or something. And, uh, and because of the campaign that we were doing, somebody called to that specific a place where she was detained. And we actually, because of the campaign, we stopped this officer from doing what he wanted to do. Um, so you can imagine, I mean, it, it is important uh, to, to be civilized, to be there, to do all these campaigns. And I mean, I, again, I'm sorry, but you asked me about a specific case, there are many. I mean, you, <laughs> I, mean I can talk all the, I mean, for, for, the whole, for the whole day about different cases that I have, I have represented. I mean, this this is this is fascinating to me because on the surface, for a panel, maybe risks seeming reactive. What you do is you help people who have already been detained get out of prison. My first thought was, well, 
why they're in there in the first place. But actually, from what you're saying, and I think this is the truth, it's incredibly proactive in the way it deals with things. Because not only do you, are you actually stopping the human rights abuses that are happening in jail as you speak, but you're also, when this woman gets back onto the streets and she attends the music events, they become the, the community that begins to take activism more seriously in their own life. So I, I just wanted to raise that. But the other point, and I think you mentioned it with a revolving door effect, and it slightly worries me when I when I think about Venezuela, is there's two narratives here. One is Faro Penal's growing, and it's a success story, and it's a brilliant story of how many people work for you and the activists in the street. But there's also the story of growing repression with the Venezuelan government. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts about where you see foreign panel going, where you see repression in Venezuela heading the trajectory of the next five, 10, or even just the next year. What's, what, what are your concerns or hopes for the coming, coming years? Okay. First of all, uh, I just want to comment something that you said that is very interesting about Foro Penal. I, and you said it in some way that many of the activists that have become members of Foro Penal volunteers are, were already victims. So they help mm -hmm. each other or either, either relatives or, or victims are being killed, for example. Uh, they become activists in Foro Penal and they, they, very, they are very effective because they know uh, what are the issues involved in all this um, situation. So, so this is interesting. That's why we have become very big. I mean, I, for sure, I'm, we are the biggest in numbers of, of members, organization in, in, in Venezuela. Um, what I expect in five years or what is, is a difficult question. We've been working again, as I said, for almost 20 years. And we always expect that the next year, everything will end and repression will end. And actually, we always expect that justice, uh, you know, will happen at some point. Actually, this is this is our our our, our um, uh, lemma or our, our, our motto that we actually is no hay que hacer justicia por propia mano, pero está en nuestras manos que se haga justicia. It ends like um, that we need to do justice uh, in some way. Actually, the motto is something like that. Actually, we don't do justice um, uh, in our own, well, it's difficult to, uh, <laughs> uh, you don't need to, do, so you, 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 you don't do justice with your own hands, but it's in our hands to do justice. This is a kind of translation. But to do justice is actually our, our, our mission. So we always expect that justice will happen at some point. Um, so, and we work on that, even though we work on micro-repression, when, 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 when you assist more than 12,000 people, or when you represent them, these this all 12,000 micro-repression uh, actors or victims, uh, they, they become a, a, a macro problem in the end. So we are the organization that actually, uh, I would say this are the source of many um, international entities when they want to analyze the situation in Venezuela. So Foro, Foro Penal, you can see Foro Penal 
uh, citations or, or as a sourcing, for example, the, the last report of the fact-finding mission on Venezuela, of the UN fact-finding mission in Venezuela or the OAS or whatever. So, so in the end, we also work to stop the macro problem. I would say the, the short answer for, for, a, for, a, for a very long analysis is that uh, repression, the government of Venezuela has been effective using repression. I mean, they don't, they don't want, and they will never, I mean, for their own purposes, uh, or for their own will, they will never uh, stop using repression because it's been effective. So, and, um, and the international community, even though there, there's many, I would say, attention at some point uh, on what is going on in Venezuela, I mean, they're not really effective ways to to stop these human rights abuses that are happening in Venezuela at this moment. The international system do not have the uh, after twenty years working with all of these uh, entities and all that. Uh, the, the, there is not a system or the or the the way to 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 stop repression, to stop dictatorial regimes, to use repression. However, that's why we use many actions, not just one, in order to influence different ways. But, but what will happen in, in one, two, three years or four? I mean, it's so difficult. Actually, I can tell you what can happen uh, if the cycle or the repression clock continues. That's why I wrote about it. There have been seven cycles in Venezuela where everything repeats. There is the appeasement phase where we are right now. The government has control of everything. Then there is the awakening phase. People awake and maybe some protest starts. Then the pricing phase where the people protest and they feel that the government will in some way be uh, out of office because of protests, and then the darkening phase where the government starts to persecute people and then the appeasement. And it goes like this all the time. So I can tell you that we are in the appeasement phase and at some point there will be the awakening because that's what is being happening. But actually when the repression clock ends, I mean, it's so difficult. And this is a matter, a more a political, uh, issue than really a, a human rights issue. I can tell you that we can, at least working on this, denouncing the situation, we have raised the attention of the international community and more specifically, not the international community, that's it, a very big uh, parameter or whatever. I, I mean, we raise the attention of the international entities that works on human rights. So at this moment, for example, we have the, the office of the of the United Nations of the human rights the the high the, the high Commi the office of the high commissioner uh, the human rights high commissioner of the UN it is in Venezuela so they are representative so at least we have someone to talk and to to tell what is going on and that's something that it was of something that we 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 got it after 
many things had happened before. So the government accepted these people to come in. Um, and some things has happened. At least we have, again, we have, I know that we have found, we have got some people out of jail. And I'm sure that in the next year and the second, many people will be out of jail. But, but, but I'm sure also that if the repression clock continues, the revolving door effect, effect will continue. So I don't think I, I didn't answer very much what you, your question, but I think it's difficult. I mean, what we expect, I'm expecting since 20 years ago that, that the things change for better. And I, 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 I've been expecting for, for a long time ago, and I expect every day, and I, 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 again, I'm here in Venezuela, and I always wake up uh, 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 thinking that, okay, I will continue with my, my job, and uh, for open, I will continue doing things, of course, but at least not having these political prisoners and, be, and people that are victims and, and the families always call us every day and, and lines, actually, literally, there are lines of victims waiting for us in, in, in our office in order to talk about the, the situation. So I always expect that, but it's difficult uh, to know exactly what will happen. I think, I think that raises an interesting point point just the last example that you gave because obviously Mike macro repression is important but actually the way for panel looks at things it says well the repression exists on the personal basis as well if you can get one person released from jail you've, you've saved them from repression in a sense and so dealing with that thing is actually a very pragmatic way of looking at it I just just I'm aware we're getting short of time so I won't I won't press you but I just wanted to bring you back to something you were saying earlier repression is this kind of universal language of tyranny that doesn't have an ideology that's just kind of associated with tyranny and it's all its forms. Um, and so on, on the one hand, you've got repression as, as universal tyranny, but then you've also got your idea of the strategic litigation manual and the ideas you were talking about then that we need to form a template and activism is something that you can almost think about as you have in your writing, the repression clock. You can think about on a kind of template level. I just wanted to ask, I mean, do you think the template that Fora at Panel offers to activists is universally applicable? Do you think this is a model that would work in Nicaragua, in Egypt, or is there something specifically Venezuelan about Fora Panel? No, it's universal. Of course, I, we wrote it and I wrote it. The repression clock also cycled to, to some way to show everyone in any part of the world that repression, that this situation can happen to anyone. And at some point, you can, and it's also for 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 students or, and and people interested in human rights. I mean, uh, the most important thing of this manual is that we show that you, as a human rights activist, either if you're a lawyer or if you are a, a political scientist or whatever, because to be a human rights defender, you don't need to be a lawyer. You don't need to be a lawyer. And, and that's what we prove. I mean, the legal issues are actually the percentage is minimum in comparison to all the things that you have to do. So if you become a human rights offender and you want to be or you're interested in that issue, you need to trace or, or to create a strategy, a tactic and actions that form the, the tactical map. And that's what we what we 
try to to say if you, if you see the the the, the book actually there is this thing that I, I did it by myself, I draw it. This is the way that it show that when you are looking for justice, this is justicia, justice, and you are a human rights defender, you start to do different things in order to get justice. You know, mm -hmm. you wake up and go to the court and, and do a, a demonstration, or, or you, 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 uh, you know, tweet a message for releasing whoever. Or, but you, in the end, you do different things that maybe are taking so much time and are not effective. So what we try to explain, no, you have to be organized. And to get the goal, mm -hmm. you have to do different actions in order, in, in order to obtain uh, justice or, or freedom, which is, in the end, what, what we want. So the answer, specific answer is, of course, it, this is totally thought. To, to be used in any country. Actually, we have thought to uh, this um, formula, put it that way or whatever, uh, to, to NGOs in Nicaragua. Actually, I, I, I recently I, I talked to people in Belarus, um, Belarus, so, or, or, or in, in Russia, um, Cuba, so, and actually Egypt, and actually you learn that uh, they they have the same problem and they need the same solution. So Alfredo, thank you so much. Just to conclude, and you kind of answered this question, but what can you know students, a lot of law students, a lot of political science students listening to us, what can they do to sort of get involved, learn more about For Penal? And then just to conclude before that, what is the one sort of overarching message that you would like our listeners to get out of our discussion today? To get involved to Foro Penal, I mean, we have a, a webpage, which is foropenal.com. Mm -hmm. uh, Foro Penal is actually a, a trademark. It's mm -hmm. more than an organization that is registered in Europe, it's registered mm -hmm. in the U.S. and registered in Latin America. So, so we are uh, actually, all the activists are part of this trademark. Mm -hmm. um, we are not, we haven't been very efficient. We have to do it in, in translating everything into English. Uh, it takes a long time. So most of what we do is in Spanish. And mm -hmm. of course, it's something that we lack of, I mean, we, we, we need to do it. So it's, uh, but we try to do it. Um, I mean, but that we would like to to have this access, I would say, to the to the to to to, to English speakers uh, in the world. Uh, um, uh, and and the, and the last question you asked me was uh, how to become a why why you you, you become a human rights activist something like that. Or? Yeah. What is the one main? So if, if if people were to forget everything we've talked about today, what is the one message that you'd like to leave them with? It's a tough question, but <laughs> to be a human rights activist, uh, whoever wants to to become a, a a millionaire or billionaire, do not choose to be a human rights activist. <laughs> but there is something more important than being a lawyer and being a millionaire, which is the satisfaction of 
for example, getting one person out of jail. You can't imagine. That's what we call abrazo de libertad, the embrace of freedom. And this is a satisfaction that actually moves at least us. And I have found that there are many people around the world that are actually looking for this satisfaction. And they do things pro bono because it's something that you really feel it and it makes you feel really very happy. When, when you, we, I'm, I'm not doing, people ask me, well, why you're sacrificing yourself, you know, this sacrifice uh, that you're doing in order to help people and all that and you risk yourself. Yeah, it's true, but there is no sacrifice. I mean, it's more satisfaction. And if you want to become a human rights lawyer or defender or, or activist, you need to feel the satisfaction. If you feel it, you can become a very, I would say, happy person doing this. Great. I think that is a very powerful note to end this discussion on. To all of our listeners, you heard it here. Search and seek for satisfaction, especially when you're seeking to work in human rights. Thank you, Alfredo. It's an absolute honor to have you with us today. And we've learned so much. Um, and I'm very excited to do my own research as someone interested in human rights as well. Thank you, everyone, for listening. From the Center of Governance and Human Rights, this was Declarations. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other podcast streaming service. We're also on Twitter. And check out our website, www.declarationspod.com. A big thank you as well to our sound editor, Max Parnell, as well as the behind-the-scenes team that makes this podcast come to life. Thank you very much.